I'm Phil C. And I'm Lynn. And together, we're, we're Roman Oz. Oz. Real interviews. With real people. On location. With a great mix of Aussie music. As requested by the people we interview. Follow us on Facebook. Or check us out, romanoz.com.au. All interviews are live. And on location. And may vary in audio quality from segment to segment. So, Phil, what's on the show this week? Well, Lynn, we're in Tasmania. Yes, we are. We're at Evendale. Yes. And what's the most uh, amazing thing about Evendale, though? Once a year. Penny Farthing Penny Festival. Penny Farthing Festival. Listeners, if you've never been to Tasmania, make sure you time it with the Penny Farthing Festival in Evendale. Now, first of all, we're chatting with a fellow who's travelled all the way from Perth. Perth in Perth, WA. Perth not in WA, not Perth in, in Tasmania. Tasmania. Yeah. <laughs> okay. His name's Warren Flanders. Yep, and it's his first time racing on a penny farthing. It is. Well, at the Evendale Festival. Yes, correct. Okay. Yep. And after that, we speak to the race caller. Yes, Rodney Mr. Bracken. Rodney Bracken. And he's uh, he's the race coordinator there. He has all the fun and telling everybody who's in front and yep. who's on first and what's on second. And mm. I don't know where that's going. And then straight after that, we are speaking to... We're speaking to Dan, who's the... He builds penny farthings. Yes. So his name's... Penny Farthing Dan. Penny Farthing Dan. Now, this is a really interesting uh, discussion. He tells you about how he measures your entire body to custom build you your very own Penny penny Farthing. farthing. I know. Amazing. It is. Very amazing. Uh, Absolutely amazing. And then straight after that, we're in Westbury. Yeah, and we're speaking to Shannon from the Western Tears Distillery. Now, wasn't that an experience? It was, yes. Oh, my goodness. And and you had a little bit of a a, a bit of a tipple, a bit of a, is that what they say? A bit of a tipple, a bit of a... Yeah, a taste of gin, which I'd never tried before. No. It wasn't really my cup of tea. Well, don't make it a habit, Lynn, because that little, little sample you had <laughs> almost knocked you off your feet. <laughs> great stuff, listeners. Great discussions with these fabulous people. And apart from all of this, we've also got a great selection of music as requested by the people we interview. So, Lynn, what do you think? Oh, On with the show. Hi, good day, listeners. Phil C here. This is Roman Oz. If you've just joined us, and I'm at Evandale in Tasmania at the Penny Farthing Festival. And I'm chatting with Warren Flanders. How are you going today, Warren? Yeah, I'm going really good. Really Mate, excited. You're excited because you're chatting to me or because you're at the Penny Farthing no, Festival? No, because I'm at Evandale at the Penny Farthing Festival for the very first time as a competitor. Okay. I was here back in 2016 uh-huh. and um, met Dan Bowell and um, decided that I wanted to buy a Penny Farthing. Right. And... Um, so I'm, I'm back here. I'm borrowing a penny farthing from Dan because my penny is home back in Perth, Western Australia. Okay. So I've got to ask you the question. Perth, Western Australia, did you come to Evandale just for this penny farthing to compete? What, what, what's, how, how did that come about? I was asked to do some travelling with a friend okay. and she wanted to come to Tasmania. So we've sort of combined the two Right. The two things. So I'm kind of like a, a tour guide for her. I've been here three times okay. now. Brilliant. And um, Evandale for the Penny Farthing Festival was a, a, a special thing for me. Special for you. But the yeah. rest of Tasmania was a special thing for my friend. Okay, fabulous. Now, how long, first of all, before we get into Penny Farthings, you've been riding bicycles a long time, I imagine. You're a pretty bicycles, fit looking yes. fella. So you love riding bikes. What was the attraction for the Penny Farthing? Is it just. Tell me about it, because it's yes. such an unusual-looking bike, and I imagine they'd be difficult to ride. So what's the attraction for you with the Penny Farthing? Just something different, okay. I think. Yeah. 
I don't know. It's just it just had that fascination, I guess. Right. Okay. And I like old things, and pennies tend to be old, but. Um, with Dan building these new ones, I, I call it my hot rod penny farthing okay. because it's because it's newly built and it's but it's old fashioned style. So with the with the penny farthing, it's just obviously people know what that is. It's got this massive wheel at the front, this tiny little wheel at the back. Do they have gears? Do they have brakes? That, how oh, do they operate? Or do I you can just tell you a funny story about okay. that. I did try and kid to somebody that they had gears and all that sort of thing, and right. that you changed them by just thinking. <laughs> uh, but I couldn't pull the wool over his eyes for very long, unfortunately. Well, obviously, just by thinking. Um, no, so no, they have no gears? Or they no have gears, some it's gears. a fixed no wheel, so okay. the pedals keep going around. Um, if you lose the pedals, like when you're going downhill, you, you know, you have you struggle to, um, slow, it down to slow it down. So, um, so the pedals also act as your brakes? Yeah, you sort of just Back, pedal back pressure back, on pe- back, not pedal it, backwards, but pressure on back them to try and slow the, the brakes, wheel down. Yeah, because the original penny farthings didn't really have any brakes. Some of them have spoon brakes okay. on the front wheel, and some of the more modern bikes now have, um, you know, the the modern style of um, caliper brakes on the on the rear wheel. Okay. So are they hard? I don't to have brakes on mine. You don't have brakes on no. yours. Well, yeah, you look like a bit of a daredevil, Warren. I've got to <laughs> no. tell you. Uh, I, I was one time, but I went over the handlebars, and that, that hurt. Oh yeah. So what's the height of the saddle? That's about what twelve, fourteen hundred off the ground or something. They vary. Um, and is that very variation because of your height or the length of your legs or? In, in some respects, yes. yes, and the speed that you want to go. Okay. So the bigger the wheel, the faster you'll go. Okay, so the bigger the wheel... is. Uh, so how big is the wheel on yours? Mine's 51 and a half inch, so I'm about 53 inches off the ground wow. sitting. And, okay. um, uh, yeah, it's a long way to That's fall. You can't to... just put your foot down when you come to of the traffic course. light. <laughs> so what do you do? Do you just sort of... Step back. Because I do see a lot of... Yeah? You step, you step back on the back pegs. And and balance the thing on that back peg while you're to to stop when you want to stop and rest. Or... Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. And that's that's how you climb up it as well. So you skeet along with your foot on the back peg, and then once you've got a bit of speed, it's a bit like riding up the onto horse, the seat, you sort of lift your leg pedals. over and. We've yeah. got to see this done. This is amazing. Oh, you'll see plenty of it. Yeah. Plenty of action today. Plenty of action. Do you get many spills at the races? Ooh, I don't know. You don't know? Never seen like No, I've not seen anybody. A couple before. of competitive people but flying around this apex bend here. <laughs> I've only been to the the races here once. So yeah. do they race anywhere else? Do they have races in, in Perth, for example? I was in a race in York, just okay. just near Perth right. one time, but yep. there was only two penny farthings and it was it was a bit of a sham. Okay. Well, <laughs> but it was fun. It was fun. Whereas this is a huge event. This at is Evendale. a huge event. It's a huge yes. event. There's bikes everywhere. There's people dressed in old, I guess, period-type clothing to ride them. Chap over there with his braces and so on and so forth and his little helmet. So they uh, obviously, some of them take it really serious. They do, yeah. 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 And and the guys that have got these big penny farthings, they're, they're real speedsters. They're, they'll be going fast. Wow. So what when you say fast, what are we talking Oh, I have no idea what speeds we're talking but they about. But they do, they do rocket along. They do, yeah. yes. Fabulous. Warren, I'm going to wind this up now. It's been fabulous meeting you and talking to you all the way from Perth here at uh, Avondale, listeners. 
for the Penny Farthing Race and Festival. Um, what can I play? Do you have a favourite Australian song or band that I can wind um, this up with? I do like the Black Sorrows, yeah. Okay. And favourite Black Sorrow song? I'll probably Chain to the Wheel. <laughs> Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. I like your thinking. Thanks so we much for your time, Warren. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Thanks very much. Stick around, Hi to everybody in Perth. We'll be, uh, we'll be back with more Roman Oz listeners straight after Black Sorrows, Chain to the Wheel.
Hi, good day, listeners. Phil C here. This is Raymond Oz, and I am in Evandale at the Penny Farthing Festival and fabulous bike race, talking with Rodney Bracken, who is the race caller. How are you going today, Rod? I'm superbly well. Fantastic, yes. mate. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk with us. It's a pleasure. Now, tell us all about, the first of all, the bike race, but also yourself. Now, you've been associated with this bike race for some time, haven't you? Yep. The, the race started in 1983. Right. And we now lost one year to COVID, but this is our 40th event. Wow. So for a small community to run an event for 40 years wow. is pretty incredible. fairly incredible. Absolutely yeah. so incredible. The bikes originated in the 1880s uh-huh. purely for mechanical advantage. The bigger right. the front wheel, the further you went because it's a fixed wheel with yes. every pedal. Yes. And they went through to the mid-1890s when the current safety bike, as it's called, these were called ordinaries. The other bikes, new modern bikes, are called a safety. Yes. The triangle got you lower to the ground. They were safer to ride. Right. And the penny farthing disappeared overnight. Okay. But not the thought of it, not the idea of it. And no. Over time, it keeps popping up. And so, in... so who's, who started this in Evendale? So in the 70s, at Tunbridge, um, Kay Pickett was one of the organisers down there. She moved here to Evendale. Okay. I'm sure after over a glass of red wine, somebody said that'd be a good idea. So a committee was formed. Di Sullivan, the Sullivans live just around the corner there, yes. was involved and she became the driving force until unfortunately she passed away a couple of years ago. Right. And it grew from there. The community were involved. We were lucky The lo- lo- one of the local residents was a policeman so he seemed to help the community embrace our event and it's just kept going it's it's unique people from very unique people from all around the world in the 80s and 90s the international travel was far more we used to regularly get internationals eight ten people from all around the world lots of americans travelers or competitors competitors oh, absolutely wow. competitors. So you get a lot of overseas yep. still today or uh, not as many yes. uh, and it depends on the year uh-huh. uh, in 1988 we had the world penny Fathing championship so we had 90 competitors from all around the world wow. and then i think in 2004 or five we also had the world penny Fathing championships again Okay. But, uh, yeah, in the early days, our bikes actually came from those international competitors. Right. They would come over, sell their bike, and that's that's how we got it. Now there are manufacturers in, 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 in yes. Evendale. Uh, uh, this chap, yep. for example, yeah. uh, Dan. Dan, yeah. We'll but chat with Dan later. In, in the early days, Michael Sullivan was a bike builder. A couple of others in Evendale. Brett Richardson, who's now here on the committee was a professional bike builder in his... He ran a bike shop and he started building penny farthings. Brett would be worth a talk because he now, in, in just before he retired, he was teaching penny farthing and safety bike construction at the TAFE in Brisbane. Okay. So he ran a course. People would enrol for a week and at the end of the week they would have a, a bike to wow. ride. So Brett's really interesting as well. So that, that was the history. Very... And all sorts of people... Mm-hmm. But most are a little bit eccentric. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Does and that so, help? <laughs> it certainly does. Yeah, okay. so, and and it, a lot of it is about the people. Yes. Yeah? The bike is at a perfect height where you can lean on yeah, it and talk, talk and have a chat. Yeah. So that, that is really good. Okay. Um, the fair side of it is just something we brought along to, to provide 
more for value for your money. And right. so, obviously, last year we didn't have the fair because of COVID, COVID restrictions, restrictions and limited yes. people. But the fair's back now, and we've had a variety of uh, performers and stalls. Most of the stalls are local. Okay. Tas- Launceston people, Tasmanian people with food, produce and handmade goods. So, Fabulous. yeah, it, it, it's all community-based. So, and a lot to see and do for the, for the people out here. And it runs for two days. Yep. It's a two-day event. Um, before we get into that side of it, I want to know, did you used to ride? I did. And, and how were you? Did you win lots of races? Are you considered one of the one of the champions? I, of the... Well, I, I never placed in the national championship. Okay. Got fourth a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Um, won the biathlon because I was a triathlete at the time. Right. Uh, a variety of yeah, Tassie. Were, we were pretty good in the relays for a, for a, for a while. So yeah, I've got a collection of medals. And Fabulous. In in the nineties, we ran a race down the Launceston Airport. We actually closed the runway and we had up to up to 50 riders line up on the northern end of the Launceston runway and come to the other end. They'd shut the airport and they'd have to do that legally through Canberra. Of course. The phone call was, why do you want to close it? We want to race penny farthings down the runway. <laughs> so, yeah. Who thought that one up? Uh, I'm not sure. Some, so uh, we had people who worked on the committee who worked at the airport, okay. and the airport thought it'd be a good promotion for them. Yep. So we went to both airlines okay. at the time, Ansett and and Qantas, got them on board to sponsor it. So once they were on board, closing the airport was easy. Yes. And then it went for about eight to ten years, and then we got more flights, and it got harder. But '93, okay. I won the airport sprint, and. Uh, Set a world record on that day, but I, I'm not sure if it's gone or not yet. Fabulous. Not particularly fast anymore. So you've retired from racing yep. and now you're the race caller. Yep, yep. That, okay. Yeah, that was the previous race caller was, was ill one year and at short notice, Rod, can you do it? Of course I can do it. I like to talk. Yes. And that, that job just stayed. Fabulous. Yep. Fantastic. Yep. Well... What's the cost? Do you know the cost of getting in? Is it a one-day ticket? Is it a two-day well, ticket? Just for the listeners. It, it's a $15 ticket Yes. for today. Okay. Tomorrow is really not as much a spectator part. Okay. What we do tomorrow is we have a race from the main street as you come into Evandale and we race to Clarendon House, okay. which is 1860s, one of the first land issues to, to this area right? and there's a beautiful old National Trust house which is definitely worth a visit mm-hmm. and we race to there they actually go past and come back it's a 10 mile race right? I think, or is it 20 miles? 20 mile race I think. 20 miles? Yep. I'm one of those things. Yep. And so that tomorrow is more about the riders yeah. and we have lunch at Clarendon House Okay. So today is the festival? Yep, today is the, the, is the take place in the is town the, of yep, Evandale? It's the National Penny Farthing Championship mm-hmm. incorporating the Evandale Village Fair so, yep. Fabulous event But they, they, they can be ridden anywhere Okay. You know? We've ridden in Melbourne there's an event in October called Round the Bay in a Day Okay. We've ridden 210k in the day around Port Phillip Bay There's <laughs> other people who've set 24 hour records There is a 24 hour record There's also a ride to ride across America, which people do so to have their a, name put. It has a huge following. Oh yeah, yeah. In it's not Ameri- just something that happens in heaven. No, it's no, all over it, the world. it's all around. Well, as you said, Penny Farthing Dan is a bike manufacturer. That's his career. That's yes. what he does for a job. Okay. And he sells and exports all around the world. Fantastic. Yeah. 
Oh, and people, right. yeah, people buy a bike to race. Others buy it, they like it. You know, he built a big one to put in a, in a coffee shop in Melbourne. So, you know, they, they, they have that appeal. You turn Absolutely. up on a penny farthing, someone will want to talk to you. Absolutely. Because <laughs> they are such an unusual-looking yep, yep. bicycle, yep, aren't they? Yep. Very unusual. Yep. All right, Rob, we're going to need to wind yep. this up yep. now. Mate, thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. I'd like to play you a song now. What's your favourite singer or band? I love to, to run to paradise. Run to paradise. Yep. Any particular reason? Uh, just if, if you're on the bike or in the gym, yep. it just gets the, gets the blood yep, flowing. Gets the blood flowing. Fantastic. Yep. All right. Well, thank you so much. That's Rod Bracken, listeners. He is the uh, race cooler here at Evandale at the Penny Farthing Festival. Thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. All right. We'll be back with more Roman Oz listeners straight after Run to Paradise.
Seven Street Caravans have now moved to a brand new location, 11 Clayton Road, Heatherbrae is where you'll find them. Whether you're looking to sell, trade or upgrade, they'll look after you. Check out their range, Silver Valley, Hurricane, Paramount Road Trip or their flagship Option RV. They won't be beaten on price, so get yourself a knockout deal today. They're open six days a week. Why not give them a call on 024987. 5288 or check out their website 7streetcaravans.com.au oh, G'day listeners, Phil C here, this is Roaming Oz and I'm still in Avondale and I am chatting with Dan Bowell. How are you Phil? Mate, I'm doing fabulous, thanks for taking the time to chat with us today. My pleasure, I hope you're enjoying your day. Absolutely brilliant, this Penny Farthing um, Festival you got out here. Tell us a bit about yourself, I understand you build Penny Farthing bicycles. Yeah, so I've been building Penny Farthings for 20 years and full-time professional at it for 10 years. Right. And these days I do around 50 per year and export to 20 countries. Okay. So North America is quite a strong market for me. And Europe, there's a lot through Asia. And then on the end of that, we got, of course, the Australian market. And then we've got really obscure places like Saudi Arabia, Borneo. Uh, there's, there's Thailand and Singapore and Nepal. So they're so, all over the place. So when, who buys a penny farthing? Well, it's, there's no particular like demographic in the sense is in I've got a large range of ages and genders and countries and things of course as I was saying about the countries before and I think probably um, men between the age of 35 and 60 probably make up most of them and most of them are fairly decent riders in the sense that they like to do regular casual rides, racing like today, and they'll use them, some guys use them daily, some some weekly, and um, there's a very, very small few that go to, for display pur- purposes, which is actually a very, very small market compared to everything else. Now, you ride yourself. Yes. And yep. have you competed at a high level? Yeah, so racing is something I really enjoy, but I'm not necessarily a competitive person. So I like to contemplate and think and analyse things. And so racing's always that chaotic kind of beat the next person thing. And and that's fun, but it's not something that really inspires me. So today, one of my favourite things to do is actually mainly what I like to do is make sure everybody has a great experience and help my riders, help everybody here and support everybody. Tomorrow we have the 32k road race, or 20 miles in the old language, and that's something I enjoy a lot more. And long distance is actually the, the riding I really love. Wow. So, so what's the longest race or longest ride you've done on the, a penny farm? We've ridden... I do organise a tour each year, which could be anywhere. So I'll do it randomly. 12 months ago we did around the northeast of Tasmania, so down here we left Evandale the day after the 32k road race and did a circuit around over to the coast and back around and back to Evandale again and um, that was 12 months ago the one before that was um, a full lap of Victoria so we went we um, started in Melbourne and went out through or more not a full lap more just sort of central out to the edge of the west and back again Okay. Um, so a loop around that central and west 
And then before that, we've done the full length of the Murray River, which was a great one. So that was really special. The Murray is quite amazing. And we started in Cancoban. And we almost steal that one. We didn't start on the top of Mount Kosciuszko, but Cancoban was close to that. And then we rode all the way through to Goolwa, where the um, mouth of the Murray is. Okay. And that took us a couple of weeks. That one was 1,400 k's. We do regular century rides, which is 100 mile. And we did a tour around northern Thailand, and one of those days we did 180 k's. In one day? Yeah. Yeah. And how long does that take? Uh, That's about sort of eight to ten hours for that one. So there's no gearing on a, on a penny farthing, is there? No, there's so no gearing. Leg if, strength? If I'm... there was gearing, yep. then you'd have a smaller wheel. There's okay. no point having the big wheel okay. if it's not your gearing because you just gear the thing up okay. and you'd change your design. You'd go rear-wheel drive, you'd have a diamond frame, <laughs> smaller wheels, you'd sit in a different position... You know, that's a des- it's a design thing. It's okay. about performance. It's about speed, but it's within the perimeters of not having gearing. Okay. And so a larger wheel gives you higher top speed. Longer cranks give you more torque, but suffer your top speed. Yep. And so a race bike will be the biggest possible wheel I can fit within the body. Okay. So I do a full body measurement. And then the race bikes, I take all of that space within your legs up with wheel size. But that comes at the expense of manoeuvrability. So as you go higher, you also go longer. They're harder to mount. They're harder to turn because the gap in your legs isn't as wide. And then a more casual bike or touring bike, that's brought down a little bit. And a really casual bike is like a fairly large gap between the seat and the wheel and everything's spaced out so it's easier to manoeuvre. So when you make a bike, is it made to a specific person? Like, do they come to you and you measure their inside leg measurement? Yeah, or I do, do a full body measurement because right. also your arm and full body position. Right. If you're One of my favourite sayings is a really good bike feels great, yeah. a sensational bike disappears. Okay. So when you're out, when we're doing the tours and we're riding along and we're in the middle of nowhere and no one's around, we're chatting away, we don't even realise we're on penny farthings. We're just there as a group of friends and we're just riding along and it completely disappears and it's comfortable and everything's in the right spot nothing's weird about it the seat is where your bum is yep pedals are where your feet are handlebars are where your arms are and it's all in the right spot okay and when you get those primitives right it fits with your body so well so it just becomes better and better with the fit so comfort is an ingredient to performance so the bikes are custom made um how long does it take to make a bike i do one a week but that's i've usually got 10 on the go at once so i'll have some are getting custom painted some are getting electroplated um there's the ones in the workshop in process and it all gets spread out because of course it might take me two weeks to get my uh, nickel plating or gold plating or copper back um their custom painting can take up to a month and then some are powder coated. So they're all over the place all the time and I just have a, a file for each bike. Every bike gets a VIN number and regardless of the customer, I have that VIN number stored with all the information, all the perimeters of that bike for um, future backup and service. Okay. So cost involved. It sounds like a very costly thing to tailor something to an individual's Body size. Because we're not talking a cheap Chinese mass production item. Yes. We're talking something that is handmade yes. and there is variation. So even to do 
something in a conformity way. So do, um, like if I did limited sizing and only kept it, it's, I still need to make it. Of course. So I still have to produce it. And so I've set up my business and workshop and everything in a way that everything is like on my lay, it's all quick change stuff, everything's, all the jigs are there, everything's set up that it takes me no extra time to do it properly right. is what it does to do a random size and a random one. Okay. So it doesn't matter what sizing and when I make it, I can make, I can shift the rake and trail wherever I want to suit the rider and it takes the same amount of work. I just have to have a file for that bike, a database, and keep track of my maths and my information about that bike, and that's the only difference between doing something as a generic item to a custom-made item for me. Okay. So with the bikes, once they're built for an individual, is there is there any market to sell it second-hand, or would it be like, oh, no, There's... that's no good for me, Six foot, not only five it's, foot. It's hard. Um, there is a certain scale. So if you're buying second hand, yes. the person who's going to buy second hand are going to be less particular. Okay. Because if you are really particular, your objective, and it's like anything you buy in life, if your objective is money, then your objective of results is not as important. Okay. So when my customers buying you they're getting me like their objective and their outcome is to get the best possible bike, best possible bike. and the best possible outcome the rest of it we have to make work mm-hmm. when you're seeking a price you're not seeking the ultimate result so the second hand market is there and customers just have to realize that there is it may not be quite right yes but i'm quite careful in the sense that occasionally i do see one that gets sold between a customer and someone else. Not long ago, there was a guy on a very small bike. The customer was about, uh, he was, would have been five foot four or something, quite a um, short guy. And then the person who bought it was six foot two. Okay. And he did not fit on the bike. It was a complete was disaster. Say, but, but people don't know any better. They often look at a penny farthing and think they're all the same. Okay. A bike is a bike. And then I see comments all the time and people say, oh, I wouldn't fit on that. And I'm like, yeah, because it's not made for you. It's not made for you. You wouldn't fit on it because I also wouldn't wear your clothing. And everybody's different. Makes perfect sense. And so, and that's the best example. Clothing is like that. So when you get something that really fits nicely, it feels so good. And again, really comfortable clothing disappears. Something that's not quite right, it may be okay, you know it's there. And you feel it's there and it's okay and you accept that. And then something that doesn't fit, really uncomfortable. Of course. And you know it's there and you do not forget it because it's annoying the hell out of you all day long. <laughs> I've never thought of it as that. I really no, I really haven't. So um, you've ridden in, in a lot of countries, obviously. You've raced in yeah, a lot of countries. Yeah, what what yeah. would be your hardest race you think you've, you've competed in? Um, well, the racing is... it's. Racing is only going to be as hard as what you know. Things are only as hard as what you make it. Okay. So people ask about hills and it, and about what it's like. Is it hard? And it's kind of like the better you get at it, the further you go and the faster you go. Uh, someone who's just learning, it can be hard to only do a few kilometres because they're not used to it. Yes. Once you get used to it and you settle in, you know the bike well and you're an experienced rider, you just get faster and you just go further. But then if you want to go really hard and push yourself, like walking or running, you can do it hard or you can do it easy. 
Okay. And I tend to find I love my long distance and I like to sit in that. I'll go up to 80%. I'm quite happy in that range, but I never tend to... It's just my personality to, to always leave something up my sleeve. Okay. Um, so I tend to not go into that zone and just keep at it. And I don't mind if it takes all day. I just keep at it. Just get the so job done. just maintain that pace. And Life's a marathon, not a sprint. And so that added, that's how I see the world. Um, the hardest race, as you said, it's probably doing the 32K road race at that high end for that full hour. So that's, you know, you, you on your peak. And we do have some rolling hills, which help because it means you can grind yes. and it changes the body. And then you have a downhill where you spin and then that changes how the body works. So that helps. So some of the hardest is when it's dead flat and consistent and you're sitting at a certain point at a certain speed, non-stop, continuous at that point because you can't change your body and muscles and that around. Okay. So they're the ones that get the hardest. Maximum speed on a flat flat road? For myself, I sort of get up pedalling up to 48 or so is about it. Yep. Some of the riders on the, the dedicated race bikes that I make, the really light, vicious, fast, the Ferraris, they're getting up around 60 kilometres an hour. Wow. And then our technique of doing a downhill descent We'll step back on the rear steps and I, I put two steps on to make them comfortable to get down on and lie over the bike. Get as much weight over the front. Get your body out of the wind and slam right down like in a super tuck position. So there's a real and technique. Let it, yep, let it fly and I've hit up to 80 kilometres an hour. Coming down northern Thailand going around the uh, Golden Triangle, there's a hill up near the Opium Museum and I come down that doing over 80 kilometres an hour lying down over the bike. It was dual lane, hot mix, absolutely glorious day, and I just let it rip. No fear of, oh, my God, I'm doing 80Ks and I'm three feet off the ground? Fear generally comes from a lack of knowledge. Yes. So if you do things within your skill and your ability, so as much as it may seem nuts to someone else, that's probably because they haven't done it before. So for me, that's... Like, I feel in control. I feel, you know, I'm 45 years old. I'm not 20, young and reckless and invincible. And so I will do things within my abilities and my comfort zone. Okay. Interesting, Dan. I'd love to talk to you all day, but I think we've got to wind it up. Yeah, yeah, there's only so much time. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I know you're not a a real music fan, so I think I'm going to choose a song for you, if that's okay. That would be wonderful. Now, the Mixers had a song called The Push Bike Song. Yep. And uh, I think I'm going to throw that on for you, being a a bicycle rider. I can't think of anything that's got the words Penny Farthing in it, so... The, book, the push bike song, The Mixtures. Yep. Thank you so much for your Thank time you. today, Dan. No problem. We'll be back with more Roman Oz listeners straight after The Mixtures, Push Bike Song.
vision of but you were peddling harder too Riding along like a hurricane, honey Spinning out of you, you look so pretty As you were riding along You look so pretty As you were singing this song I sing the song Around, round, wheels going round, round, round Down, up, pedal, down, up, down But I gotta get across to the other side of town Before the sun I'm looking at my honey in the rearview mirror And now I got a better view You look so pretty As you were riding along You look so pretty As you were singing this song I sing the song G'day listeners, Phil C here. This is Raymond Oz, if you've just joined us. And I'm in Westbury, and I'm chatting with Shannon from Western Tears Distillery. How are you today, Shannon? I'm fabulous, thank you, Phil. Thank you for taking the time to chat with us today. I'm so impressed by this place. I just want all my listeners to know about it. First of all, it's not just a distillery, is it? You've also got a, a cafe, a coffee shop, cafe, yes, food is. available. Thank Tell us a little you. bit about that. Uh, so we have a, a restauranty vibe. It's a unique distillery experience that we have the kitchen. Okay. Um, and people can come in and they can get a tapas style menu, uh, coffee and cakes in the morning, and you know cocktails and cheese in the afternoon. Fabulous. So what time do you open in the mornings? So we're open at ten. Yes. Uh, and we close at four o'clock during the week and five o'clock on the weekends. Both days. Yes. Seven days a week. Yes. Fabulous. So you can always guarantee getting something lovely in Westbury, listeners. Now, uh, tell us a little bit about the distillery itself. How long has it been running? Okay, so we're coming up to our second birthday. Right. We opened on the 27th of February, um, two years ago. Yes. And uh, it is, it's been going amazing. Everyone always says, oh, during COVID, well, mm. we have hit the ground running and we're flat out all the time. It's, it's been fantastic. So whose idea was it for the distillery? Okay, so the owners are Mark Kologi and Tim Freeman. Okay. And they are also owners of Colmark and the Stillsmiths. Right. And so it was bringing those two together to create a showroom, um, essentially, was the original idea. Uh, to be able to get people from all around the world to come in here and actually see what they could have for themselves when they're setting up their own distillery. Ah, so the idea initially was for people to wander around and go, I want to set up my own distillery. Exactly. And then the distilling side, that was a bit of an afterthought? Well, it was. They started thinking more about, well, if we've got a distillery just sitting here, why don't we make it work? Absolutely. What better way to show what quality of spirit you can produce than by making it yourself and Absolutely. proof is in the pudding as they say fabulous so it turned into a working distillery uh-huh uh, essentially you know, we are about the whiskey 
Mm -hmm. but we do have other spirits that we make currently. Well, I was going to ask you that. That was my next question, Shannon. You must have been reading my mind. What do you distill here? So we do distill a triple distilled whiskey. Right. Uh, which is, you know, quite rare in Tassie. Mm -hmm. So we're one of very few distilleries that triple distill. And we also have our gin still set up where we do four different flavours of gin. We also have a vodka. And we do have our very special Irish moonshine, which is available for people to, to take home with them as well. Irish moonshine. Now, tell us the difference between moonshine and, and I guess, a proper named product like gin or, or whiskey, yep. scotch. So, basically, our Irish moonshine, or pachin, pachin um, yes. is our new make whiskey spirit. So, it's a rare opportunity where a distiller will actually let you taste their new make spirit. Mm -hmm. And a new make spirit is basically the whiskey spirit that goes into the barrels to age and mature for two years and a day to become whiskey. Right. If it doesn't sit for that time in a barrel aging, it's a moonshine. Okay. And that's how we get the Irish moonshine. So... Moonshine wouldn't taste any different, though, would it, really? Or, or? It does, especially as a new make spirit. Right. Uh, the distillation process is actually 30% of the flavour profile of whiskey. Right. The other 70% comes from the ageing and maturing in the barrels. So it's quite a difference. So how long does the process take, the whole process from start to finish? With whiskey? Yes. We'll, we'll use whiskey as an example. Yes. Yeah. So whiskey is quite a lengthy process. Okay. By the time you mill the grain, mash it, ferment it, and then triple distill it, you're looking at you know a full day, seven days, one, two, three more days to distill, seven days to have all of the runs to marry together, and then you have to put it in the barrel for two years. So you've got quite a long time before you have something that you can drink with whiskey. Whoa! <laughs> and then what happens if you find out it's a failure? Well, then you just pick yourself up and dust yourself off and you try again. Interesting question, Lynn. Have you ever had a failure? So far, we have had a lot of success yes. with all of our whiskey that yep. we've tracked along the way. We don't have a whiskey spirit technically ready yet, Okay. but along the way to becoming whiskey, you do sample it, test mm -hmm. it, make sure that it's hitting the flavour profiles, and if you need to fix it, then you can change barrels or you could mix and you can get it back on track. But it's very important to test along yeah. the way. So how, how frequently do you test? Uh, so we did a six-month testing. We did a year testing where we actually were fortunate to have Damien Mackey and Bill Lark come along and do the tasting with us mm -hmm. and make notes for us. Um, and it was actually documented in film. Right. So that milestone is forever immortalised. And again, the distiller just every now and then will take a little sample and make sure that it's on track. So what is, what is he actually, when you say take a little sample, what is he actually looking for? Uh, we're looking at the colour, we're looking at the smell, and obviously we're tasting. Fabulous. Yes. Absolutely brilliant. So um, tell us a little bit about the difference, like the ingredients and the flavours. How does this come about for the different spirits that you distill? For the gins, yep. for example, yep. um, we've got all the botanicals that we display for people to have a look at when we do, when we do the tours. Um, and depending on what flavour gin you're making will determine what botanicals you use in it. The very important thing is to make sure that you have 80% juniper because if it doesn't have 80% juniper, it is not a gin. 
Right. And so then, what is it then? If it doesn't have 80% juniper, then it is a vodka. Oh. So that's what With the same ingredients? So, is that the only difference? Well, basically, they both start out as a neutral spirit. Right. And then you add mm-hmm. flavour to it. For example, 80% juniper to become gin. And the other 20% can be whatever you want, whatever your heart desires. Right. Now, here, because we're very fortunate to call the Western Tears our home and we like to highlight and showcase the area, we have chosen botanicals which show off our beautiful home. Right. So, for example, we use the Kunzia herb, uh, which grows wild up in the Western Tears there, mm-hmm. and it gives it an earthy, herby flavour base, and it's more of a wintry vibe. It's contemporary, and it's uniquely Tasmanian in that way. And um, we're very fortunate that we actually have won gold in the Australian Gin Awards for our Nell's Bluff Gin. Incredible. <laughs> Incredible. So whereabouts do you distribute? Can they only buy the products here or do you sell them around no, the, around so, the country? I mean, obviously, we have the cellar door here. So, yes. you know, it's great to be able to talk to people and sell from our cellar door. Uh, but we do have an online shop as well. So mm-hmm. no matter where you are in Australia, if you love our spirits, you can jump onto our online shop and you can purchase a bottle and we'll pack it up and we'll get it to you. Um, Otherwise, we do have um, bottle shops around Tasmania that stock our products as well. So none of the big stores like Dan Murphy's? Yes, we are in Dan Murphy's. You are? We are in BWS's. Okay. Yes, uh, Celebrations as well. But only in Tasmania? Only in Tasmania at the moment. Okay. Um, Our owner, um, his wife is actually in charge of our business development and getting the word out there and getting us into those bottle shops. And she does a fantastic job. Dan Murphy's is, that's, that's a big feat. Yes. You get your product into Dan Murphy's, there's a Dan Murphy everywhere, isn't there, really? Well, almost. Pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> so, so what's your turnover of, of, of um, product? So we are still a small batch boutique distillery. Yes. And that is what it the vision always is for us. Yes. We don't want to get... Mass sick. producing. No. And, yep. No. We want to keep it nice and boutique and really make sure that every spirit we produce is of that amazing quality yes. that we can stand behind. I can understand that. It's, and it's to keep the standard there and quality rather than quantity. Exactly. And uh, we've just had a, a tasting of, of, of the... What was the one that we had? Um, the Quamby. Quamby? Quamby, yes. Absolutely beautiful. <laughs> For a first time ever drink, gin taster. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> there we go. There you go, ladies. So you only need a little, a little, uh, <laughs> a little sip uh, to start feeling very, very merry. Now, what about your tasting sessions? How, how does that work? Yes. And also your tours. Let's yes, mention those things. Definitely. So people can, can actually um, come and do a tour with right. us. Yes. Because we are open seven days. Mm-hmm. So we can do an early morning tour at 10.30 a.m. Okay. And we do an afternoon tour at 3 o'clock. Um, and you can jump onto the website and you can book, you know, it's $15 per person. Right. And basically, um, it's usually myself or MG is another one of our tour guides. Mm-hmm. And we take you through the entire process and you get to learn how we make the whiskey from beginning to end, how we make our gin, how we do our vodka, basically show you all the behind the scenes things, which... 
produces the spirit that goes into your glass eventually. Okay. So $15 for the tour. How long does the tour last? Uh, about 30 minutes to 45 minutes, depending okay. on how many people ask questions. Okay. And minimum number of tours or maximum number of people that oh, you... If there's one person who's keen to learn, then I'll bring them in here and I'll do a tour. Okay. Uh, if there's a group of eight people, you know, that don't know each other, we'll take eight people in. If yes. it's a larger group where everyone knows each other, then we'll take that large group in as well. Fabulous. And what about your tastings? How, how does that work? So we are open for tastings, again, seven days a week. And you yep. can come in here at 10 o'clock in the morning if your heart desires. <laughs> and we will set you up at our tasting bar and you can taste the products that we make and distill here. Right. Uh, or we do have a showcase of Tasmanian whiskies as well. Right. So we're a bit of a stop point. So, you know, if you don't want to go all the way down to Hobart to taste a whiskey from one of those distilleries, you can come in here. We can do a tasting for you. And if you fall in love, you have to go to that distillery. Fabulous. <laughs> so you're promoting other distilleries here. Yes. It's a great a idea. Family. Yeah. Great idea. So what about costs? And obviously it costs for the tour, $15. What about for the tastings? So we have uh, two pre-made flights, which people usually go with. Mm -hmm. They're $15 each and they have three spirits on them. Okay. So that's a neat spirit. But if you are a mixologist and you want to have some fun and make your own little mini drinks, then it's 25 for three spirits and you get ice and garnishes and a bit of a mixer on the side and have some fun and make your own little drinks. Absolutely. Brilliant mm. stuff. I love it. Mm. Fabulous. <laughs> I don't think I've got anything else to ask. No, no questions from you, Lynn? No. no she's smiling. You should never have given her that little drink. <laughs> <laughs> Shannon, it's been absolutely wonderful chatting with you. I'm going to wind this up now. Um, Shannon from Western Tears Distilleries in Westbury, listeners. Um, what can I play for you in the way of an Aussie song? What's your favourite Aussie band? Well, you can't go past Cold Chisel. Yes. And I love Flame Trees. Flame Trees. It's a fabulous song, and I know all the listeners are going to enjoy listening to that. Just like they're going to enjoy listening to what we've been chatting to now. Thank you so much for your time, Shannon. Thank you. Shannon uh, from Western Tears Distillery listeners, and we'll be back with more Roaming Oz straight after Cold Chisel's Flame Trees.
sentimental bullshit anyway No, it takes more than just a memory To make me cry And I'm happy just to see At a table with old friends And see which one of us can tell the biggest lies you enjoyed the show listeners if you missed any check out our facebook page spotify or romanoz.com.au tune in next week for more romanoz Roman